0: Amen. That was fun. That's fun. Can you breathe? Do you need oxygen? That's one of the difficult things with this. I'm just walking around Home Depot and it's like, <gasps> or Lowe's if you're a Lowe's person. I apologize. Take your Bibles. First Peter. First Peter. Um, a <laughs> little behind the scenes thing. I've been, we've been, it's kind of a group thing, trying to preach First Peter for about a year and a half now. Uh, it was last, I guess it was last March, we went away on a leadership retreat, um, and I handed out, studied books of First Peter and said, okay, it's coming, so get ready, and then just everything changed, and so for one reason or another, we just kind of kept putting it off, putting it off, did a couple other studies, which, which I found personally um, hugely encouraging in my own walk with Christ, and then uh, just so happens... Uh, that we had started thinking about doing First Peter around this time. Took a couple of weeks to do some one-offs uh, via video, and then we had set the date to start First Peter today before the governor. So you're welcome. Um, but we're going to jump into First Peter, and I will tell you this: there is no book in Scripture that is more appropriate for the current days that we are in. And so I'm I'm excited about studying First Peter together. First Peter, we're, we're calling this series different. The reason we're calling it different um, is because as you read through First Peter, he's talking about what's happening in the world, what's happening um, in, in, in uh, the lives of believers, of his family, of the people he loved. And, and he continues to say to them, listen, you need to respond differently. You can't respond to, like the world. You need to respond differently. You need to do this. So God is calling us to be different. And He's not calling us to be different just to prove a point. I hope you understand that. He's calling us to be different because we can be different, because we have a hope that the world doesn't have. We have Jesus Christ, death, burial, resurrection, his mediation for us ongoing. We have a hope that the world doesn't have. And so he says, you can live differently. Who's he? Who is he that says this? Well, God is speaking through Peter. Yes, that Peter the one that we all bash on all the time, or probably more specifically, I bash on all the time, um, and I'm certain he will not be a friend in heaven, but he can't be angry in heaven, right? So he's got to like forgive me and be nice to me. Um, this guy, he found ways, he created ways to make mistakes, right? I understand some of the other ones, but he didn't have to get out of the boat to walk on the waves. So he kind of created his own problem with that one. But Peter was a fast, to, quick-to-speak, slow-to-think kind of guy. Um, one of the reasons I make fun of him most is because, quite honestly, he reminds me of me. But here at this point in his life, he's become a man who is fully transformed by the work of Jesus Christ in his heart. So, so let me, let me um, just encourage you a little bit. We talk about Peter's failures all the time. We talk about how he was so incredibly simple, he's just a fisherman, but, but think about this. Peter is about to jump into some of the deepest theological waters that exist. He's going to talk about, in 1 in Peter, he's going to talk about foreknowledge, election, sanctification, the trinity, the sacrificial atonement, mediation. He's going to talk about all those big theological words in the first two verses of his book. So, so while it seemed like Peter was going to play junior varsity his entire career, It appears that he has made some large leaps and bounds in his maturity and his walk with Jesus Christ. So let me encourage you. You may be sitting here feeling like Peter, that you're quick to speak and your failures end up flaming in front of everybody to see and you're discouraged. Listen, it takes time. It takes time to get to the place where you are more mature in your walk with Christ, where things are going better than worse. It's like learning to walk when you're a little one you don't pick which direction your body goes in. Your head determines. Because it's so, it's, it's so out of um, um, whack. It's so much bigger than the rest of your body. So if your head leans this way, the rest of your body goes that way. And so it takes a few years for you to grow into your head. It takes a few years for you to strengthen your leg muscles and your core muscles to get to the place where you can actually walk the way you want to walk. It takes a few years in your pursuit of Jesus to get to the place where you're seeing more than just two steps forward and one step back. You're seeing multiples. Maybe maybe you have a past. Maybe there's something in your past that's a thing that you just don't want anybody to know about. And that gives you anxiety as you sit here. Well, let me tell you this. Peter makes you look like a minor leaguer. Um, I don't think anybody in this room has ever had Jesus look at them in the eye and call them Satan. And if you have, you should meet with our security team immediately. Um, (laughs) The reality is, he had great failures. But if there's room at the cross for Peter, room at the cross for you. This This is a man who experienced real persecution, Not just inconvenience, real persecution, real martyrdom. I don't know if you're aware of this or not. Church history tells us that Peter was crucified upside down because he refused to recant of his faith and he refused to be crucified like his Savior, Jesus Christ. He's writing in a time and to a people who are really going through unprecedented difficulty. It's written around the year 60 to 65 AD. Uh, It's under the rule of this tyrannical emperor named Nero. Nero was a tyrant. Nero killed his mom, killed his first wife, and we're pretty sure he killed his second wife as well. Under the the rule of Nero in July of 64, Rome burnt to the ground. Uncontrollable fire for six days. They finally get it put out and then it starts again and burns for another three days. And history tells us that, that Nero played his fiddle as he watched Rome burn. There was a, an angry mob that arose after seeing that, and they blamed Nero for uh, wanting a bigger palace and burning it down so that he had an excuse to build it. And he's the one that created this massive fire that destroyed Rome, so it's his fault, his fault, and, and Nero needed to get the attention off of himself, so he decided he would blame somebody else for this. And so he chose a, a small group of very unpopular people that everybody was a little skeptical about called Christians, and he blamed them for starting the fire. He outlawed Christianity, and that began a 250-year path of persecution, organized persecution, and outlawing of Christianity. And Nero led the way with his cruelty towards Christians. It was a regular um, occurrence that what he would do is he would take the skins of animals and wrap Christians in them and put them in cages with wild dogs, and the wild dogs would attack them. Um, he would cast Christians uh, as characters in plays that were to be murdered, so they could actually do it in the play. He would uh, dip Christians in sulfur um, and and then he in tar, and he would tie them to a tree and he would light them on fire to give him light to have garden parties. Or he he would take them and light them on fire and, and set them along the side of the Apean. Uh, Appian Way, which is the, one of the main thoroughfares, and, and that would light the road. He was a horrible, horrible person, and he was persecuting believers in Jesus Christ, men and women who had put their trust in Christ. These were real people, like you and like me, who were going through this very difficult time. And Peter is writing to them a, a scared hurting, fearful Christians who are in hiding, trying to get away from being persecuted. He's writing to you, sitting here this morning, a person who has unanswered questions and a person who has great fear, a person who is going through trials, who is going through difficulties, whether those be financial or physical or spiritual or emotional. Perhaps over the last few weeks, you've had an addiction that you thought was dead for years suddenly rear its ugly head again. He's writing this for you. He's writing this for those of you who are about to head into a big trial and you don't know it. Guess what? That's all of us. One of, all of us is going to get one eventually. He's writing this to us. And listen to what he says. Look at verse one. This is what Peter says. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those chosen, living as exiles, dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. He says, you are exiles, strangers, sojourners, alieners, alieners, yeah, I just made up a word, alieners, foreigners, aliens, there we go, I'll get it. But The basic point of that is This world, this ain't your home. You don't live here. You're you're, you're just passing through. So, So because this isn't your home, you are going to be different. Your morals, your values, your belief systems, all of those things will be different. The way you parent will be different. The way you behave as a child will be different. The way you spouse, what you do in your marriage, the way you care for, submit to, and love your spouse is going to be different than everybody else around you. The way you lead your company, the way you work when you show up at the office, it's going to be different. The way you invest your time, your energy, your resources, all of those things are going to be completely different because you don't live here, you're just passing through. So you need to live differently. And Peter prays it for his people. I want, in the middle of this difficulty, as as hard as this may be, my prayer for you is, the end of verse 2, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Well, how does that happen? How does that happen? Well, what we have is a theologically rich sentence that I'm just going to kind of dabble in a little bit, create some small fires that I'm sure we'll have to put out later. That's okay. Um, We're just going to splash in the puddles a little bit to get through it. But, but, but really, what Peter's point is this. This is, this is how you um, uh, gain grace and peace. It's not through living in the past and thinking about the good old days, which weren't actually good. They were just old. And it's not about strategizing a way to dodge the angry mobs coming to persecute you. It's about remembering who you are. And he begins by saying, you are chosen. The word is also elect. And when I say that word in a church... There are a group of people that are like, yeah! And there's a group of people that are like, oh great, here we go. So, I'm going to offend both of you. Because I, I, you know, I walked the middle. Where it so, the word elect and chosen is used 22 times in the New Testament. And in every time it is used, it is referring to a group of people who are chosen by God. Out of a group of other people who are not chosen. And those people who are chosen... Are now included in the numbering of God's people, and they receive the great privilege and blessing it is to be chosen by God. It is an intensely theological term that you can find in Scripture. And here is the teaching of this being chosen you didn't find God. Please understand that. Not one of us in the room was sitting on our couch one day with our Rubik's Cube of faith, and we're like, aha! I get it. You didn't stumble upon God. You didn't figure God's love out all of a sudden. No, he found you. The theological baggage that surrounds that thought is undeserved. Let me explain why. It doesn't come by itself. It comes together with another idea called free will. So let me explain it this way. If God hadn't chosen you to reveal his love to you, would you be saved? No. John chapter 6, verse 44, Jesus says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. However, if you didn't receive the gift that Jesus is offering, would you be saved? No. No. Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So how do these two things go together? It's this beautiful mess. And this wonderful mess that reminds us that God's a lot smarter than we are. Praise God. Because if you were all dependent upon what I could fit in my three-pound brain, you're all in a lot of trouble. I can't even remember how to get home some days. Okay, so, so, so what, what, what does that mean? Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. Okay, good. His, he's big enough to understand all this. Isaiah 55, 9, my, as heaven is higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. So are my thoughts higher than your thoughts. I praise God for that. God is way bigger than we are. We can trust him with those things. He, we can trust him to take what seems to be opposing points and marry them perfectly. It's an intensely theological term. This word chosen is also an intensely intimate term. In Ezekiel 16, you can read it later. I don't have time to go through it. Ezekiel 16, um, God kind of runs through the history of the people that he has chosen. And and while he takes it all the way um, to the the place of judgment because of their covenant unfaithfulness, if you focus, um, I think it starts in verse 4, on the the, the description of the one that he chose, it is jaw-dropping. He says, I chose you, you who, who were lying in a field covered in blood with your umbilical cord still attached because you were a child no one wanted, so they tried to throw you away. And God says, I'll take that one. See, that? that's how he cares about you. You don't have to clean yourself up for God to be like, oh, that one will do. All that comes after he comes and gloriously dumps his bucket of grace and love on you. He pursued you. He wants you. He wants you for your own good. And so if you're here this morning... Even if you think it's just because you wanted to get out of the house, in reality, it fit into God's perfect plan. That perfect plan is that you would be sitting here this morning, that you would hear that the Father loved you while you were sinning against him. He loved you so much, he gave his son, Jesus Christ, to come and, and take your place on the cross, to take upon himself the debt of your sin so that you could be free. He wants you to know that no matter how much of a sinner you are, there is an offer of grace on the table for you. And you can turn to him and trust him by confessing you're a sinner and he's a savior. Then you'll get to understand what it means to taste of his extravagant love. Peter Peter is saying, "I, I know it's difficult. I know it's going to get more difficult. But God's love for you is unfathomable. It is unchanging. And so you can find grace and peace there. And because God's love is unchanging, because God's love is unfathomable, then you can live a life that is unshaken, even though everything around you is losing its mind. He says that here. He says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. I don't have the time to get into all the intricacies of the language here. I believe verse 2 is referring to the fact that these people are exiles, And what Peter is saying is you are in your current situation, not by mistake, but according to the very foreknowledge of God, the very difficulty that we're going through. We're all known by God before the world began. There are no mistakes, and it's all come aligned with his fatherly love for his own people. So that means that we're living our lives in this complex and and confusing context at times. But what we need to remember is that God is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-capable, not just sometimes or when things are good all the time, even when things are difficult. And we need to embrace that this, this plan of God right now that we are going through, that it's perfect, and it has a purpose. And he actually says what that purpose is right here. It is in the, through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. See, we need to view... Our difficulties, we need to view even persecution differently than the world around us. See, they, they, see, they see their day in and day out situations. They see all of these things uh, that, that, that they are either their jobs, their marriages, uh, their relationships, all those things, they view those things as containers of happiness, And so what they try to do with work is they just keep dumping things into that container of happiness. In their marriage, they're going to keep dumping a container of happiness. That way, see, I'm truly happy. And the way God views those things and those relationships isn't as a container of happiness, but as a vehicle for change. God views your marriage, your work situation, even the difficulties that you're going through, as a vehicle that the Holy Spirit can use to sanctify you, to set you apart, to grow you, to change you. That's that's James 1. Isn't it James 1? Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you go through trials of various kinds. Count it joy and consider it as an opportunity for growth. The Holy Spirit will continue to sanctify us, to change us, to Purify us even through difficult situations, so we can't view difficult situations as this huge offense against us. We we can't view difficult situations like we're being slighted. We need to view them as opportunities to be made more like Jesus. And I don't have a ton of time to deal in this one, so I'm just going to mention it and pass by it. But but we demonstrate that likeness as the Holy Spirit changes us into the image of Jesus. We demonstrate our likeness to Jesus through the ways we obey Jesus. And, and Peter is going to deal. With a truckload of opportunities for us in practical obedience, he's going to talk about our marriages. He's going to talk about our citizenship. He's going to talk about our employment. He's going to talk about our holiness. He's going to talk about our morality. He's going to go through all of these different things and say, "You have an opportunity to to be obedient to Jesus Christ." And here, here is the profound duh of the morning. Are you ready? All of those opportunities that Peter has laid out for us to be obedient to Jesus Christ. Do you know what's going to happen? We're going to screw it up. Amen! That's, that's, that is the asteroid. Woohoo, here we go. That's, that's it. The reality is we're still sinners. And as the Holy Spirit continues to sanctify us and chisel us and shape us and we, we still have a heart of flesh So we will find ways to speak unlovingly to our spouse. We will find ways to be a horrible boss and a terrible employee. We'll ignore God's call to holiness. We won't be good citizens. We won't be hospitable. We will complain. We will whine. We will lie. We will gossip. We will sin. And we will be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. Blood was sprinkled in the Old Testament as a visual reminder that a life had been given and a payment had been offered for sin. But it's usually sprinkled on the mercy seat. Only three times do you find that it is sprinkled on people. And then let me give you the two and then I'll give you the one that I believe that Peter is referring to. The first one is at the initiation of the covenant with his people. In Exodus chapter 24, Moses sacrifices an ox and then he sprinkles the blood on the altar and then he turns and he sprinkles the blood on the people to to signify this this atoning work of God and the people and the bringing together, the establishment of this covenant between God and his people. Powerful picture. Second time you see the sprinkling being done on people is um, where Aaron and his sons were ordained as priests. They were sprinkled with the blood. But what I believe Peter is referring to here is the purification ceremony that happened for the leper who had been healed from his leprosy. See, when his leprosy was gone, he had to return to the priest. And the high priest would then announce him as clean. And he would do that by taking the hyssop and dipping it in the blood of the sacrifice and sprinkling it on the leper. And I believe that's the sprinkling that Peter is speaking of here in this verse. Why do I think that? Because with the leper, much like us as sinners, we haven't left the covenant relationship with God. We're still in that covenant. We're still members of that covenant. But our fellowship is jacked up because of our sin. And we are separated and things just aren't right. Until that moment, the blood of Christ is reapplied to our account. Then, then there's sweet fellowship again. Much like the leper who was cast out from his family, cast out from his camp, cast out from his countrymen, he, he was required to stay as far away as possible, covering his face and yelling, unclean, unclean. Does that sound familiar to anyone lately? So the leper needs to stay away, unclean, unclean, until that moment suddenly he is cleansed and he's still not allowed back into his country, back into his camp, back into his family, until that moment the high priest sprinkles the blood on him and then it's all made new again. Through difficult times, we will fall on our face and yet we have a mediator between God and us. His name is Jesus Christ. And if we confess our sins, the Greek there is literally, if we keep on confessing our sins, he will keep on forgiving us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness with the sprinkling of the blood. Brings us full circle. It's Peter. Get behind me, Satan. Peter. I'll never deny you Jesus till the rooster crows and he's done it three times. It's Peter. Probably the biggest failure in Christianity's story and yet he is a man who has been rescued and lives with great hope and he communicates to people who are about to go through difficult times, I want you to have your grace and your peace multiplied. Where is the source of grace and peace in Peter's life? We find it in verse three. We're going to preach about that next week. We're going to sing about that in a minute. But here's the source of the confidence for grace and peace in Peter's life. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You want to know why we have hope? Because he is risen. Because he is alive and just as Jesus lives, so will we. Every promise that he made to us has been fulfilled through the resurrection and we can live with great hope. We can live in a bath of grace and a bath of peace. We're forgiven and we're welcome in God's presence even though we're imperfect obeyers. Christ's blood is still applied. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of it. Thank you for the example of Peter. Thank you for a brother that I can identify with. Thank you, Father, for the fact that you are so good to us. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for choosing us. As uncomfortable as that may make us, God, thank you for drawing us to yourself so that we might find redemption and hope in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for for caring for us. Thank you for continuing to watch over our souls. Now, God, I ask that you would protect us, that you would be with your people as we head out the doors for this week. God, even if we don't face great persecution, there is great difficulty surrounding us everywhere we go. So, God, I pray that you would give us the hope that Peter had, the peace that Peter spoke of, the grace that is there and available for us. God, I beg that you would watch over these people this week and that, Father, you would draw them near to yourself. Lord, thank you for the confidence we can have because the grave is empty. It's in the name of our Savior, I pray. Amen.